everyone, and welcome back to the Deutsche Grammophon International Podcast Series. I'm Sarah Willis, and when I am not passionately podcasting, I'm playing my French horn somewhere around the world. I'm always delighted to podcast with the Yellow Label's star-studded cast of musicians, especially today. My guest is simply one of the most famous classical musicians in the world. Discovered at the age of 13 by the conductor Herbert von Karajan, she has never looked back. Although we ladies never like to discuss age, this podcast is to celebrate her 60th birthday and the Deutsche Grammophon re-release on vinyl of some of her most successful recordings. I have so many questions for her about Herbert von Karajan, her work with John Williams, and also I'm dying to find out about her green Yoda earrings. Anna-Sophie Mutter, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to our podcast series. And may I say, happy birthday to you. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> you know, we ladies don't like to talk about age, but I, I, say, really? I say 60 is a new 40. Uh, whatever. I, I think it's rather wonderful uh, to age. It's much better than dying young. You that, know, that's a, that is the option. That's so. going to be my new life motto, I think. <laughs> So thank you for that. But to celebrate your birthday, Deutsche Grammophon has brought out this beautiful set of five of your your most well-loved recordings on vinyl. Now, what, Who do, you, knows? what do you think of vinyl? <laughs> Is this something? I love you, vinyl, yeah? actually. I, I think it's very becoming, has always been becoming for the upper register. So probably more for the violin than for the horn. You have to tell me all about your preferences. But I have to say, although, of course, the CD has, you know, fabulous advantages, but still the warmth of a, of a vinyl is, is quite becoming to a fiddle. So I'm very happy um, to realize that around the globe, we have an ever-growing audience for vinyl. And so I'm, I'm really happy that we also foster that way of replicating music. It's it's a beautiful thing. Also, this Dolby Atmos, it means we're hearing oh, your, your recordings yes. in this incredible immersive yeah. sound. Yeah. And, I uh, think for a non-musician, that is particularly, uh, you know, exciting. Isn't it true, Sarah? We are used to being in the middle, uh, you know, of it all, like in the eye of the storm, so to speak. And for the audience, hmm, yeah, I mean, you are in front or in the back, on the side. You are not really immersed as much as we are. So this Dolby Atmos is really quite extraordinarily exciting. I totally agree. Sometimes when I listen to a recording, I think, but that's not the piece. That's not how I know it. And I forget I'm uh-huh. in the middle yes. of this sound. I'm at the back, usually. You're at the yeah. front. But it has a totally different sound. And it's it's fascinating yeah. to hear what they can do these days. And who would have mm-hmm. thought that, you know, in your recordings yeah. with Von Karian, he would have yeah. loved it. I think this. he would. Uh, I totally agree. He would have really, really loved it. I remember how excited he was in the 80s when the CD emerged and and he was, I think he was really the first musician who deeply believed in it and really pushed its development forward. And then, of course, very excited as he was, started to re-record everything again. <laughs> and he was really happy as a clam to be always on the forefront of any kind of technical development. Plus, his vision was always that music would be available everywhere, anytime. I think he would be very happy today, although having said that, you know, all this compression and also the quality of sound on some of the 
you know, uh, sites. Yeah, that's questionable. But anyhow, that everybody has access to music is a fantastic leap forward. He would have been a great streamer, I think. I think he would have adored yes. these streaming platforms. But you're right, the quality sometimes does does suffer. And that's why, you know, what we're doing now with with Deutsche Grammophon and the Dolby Atmos and the, the LPs, and you just you just imagine people at home with their with yeah. their, their record players. It's such a lovely yeah. way back, isn't it, into a way of listening it to is. music. And isn't it also a way back to a more meditative and a more celebratory way of listening, of consuming, if you want to use this rather ugly word, because, you know, you put the LP on and then you sit and it's it's very diff- different from pushing a button on your phone and then you cook while you kind of listen. And, but of course, you don't listen. So the LP comes with a different set of appreciation and of the time you set aside truly for that event. And that is wonderful that we that we don't totally forget to not multitask when we listen, which also would be nice when we have a conversation with people. But with music, then that's that's the great aspect I always feel in a live performance, that the audience cannot escape the moment. You know, they have to sit there, they have to take it, and they, they, they can share with us this moment of meditation and of being one with time and the present. So the LP, in a way, brings that into your living room, which is quite wonderful. Here, here. I mean, just the thought of going jogging with your LP player on your back. You know, it's just <laughs> impossible, luck. like yeah. like we do with our, you know, with our with our our headphones. But you know, having said that, I totally agree what you say about audiences and this meditative meditative feeling. By the way, your English is amazing. Yeah. That you know how to about mm. happy as a clam. I'm so impressed with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was I was talking to a group of teenagers, which for me, yeah. I love all the education work that I do. But the the teenagers are quite often the toughest ones. To, to get to. And I said yeah. to them, what is the biggest challenge about you going to a concert? And I thought mm-hmm. they'd say, oh, it's too long. It's, you know, too boring, whatever. They said to me, we have to turn our phones off. <laughs> and they didn't like that at all, you know, so that we have to try somehow to reach the younger yeah. generation, um, <laughs> you know, and persuade them that turning your phones off in a concert is a good thing. Yeah, that reminds me of a remark. Lambert Ock is my wonderful American musical collaborator oh, on the so piano. so wonderful. Your best buddy. <laughs> he's truly my best buddy on and off stage. He's a wonderful person. Great fun to be with. Extremely knowledgeable. And he remarked a few years ago when I told him the story of one of the elderly people in my family, let's put it that way, who complained very much about the productions by Deutsche Grammophon because strangely enough, that's the only label he always has to run back to the machine and make it louder or softer because they have these incredible dynamics. And I'm like, you know, this is intentional. Anyhow, so Lambert said, you know, there will come the day the audience is sitting with remote controls in the hall to make us louder or softer. Who knows? Phones off, definitely. Phones off, definitely. So we just have to persuade the younger generation that that's a good thing and also get them to... That there is life without the phone. There is total life without the phone and that's in live. But back in the days when you recorded these concertos, there there are four... In the last century. Four four with the Berlin Philharmonic and one with the Vienna. That was a completely different way of recording. I mean, Carrion hadn't actually, or had he, for 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 the Beethoven recording, he already had that special 
special light and the and the, the orchestra set up all the winds in a row, you know. So he was already okay. thinking very visually with his TV yeah. recording. Uh-huh. But for the album recording in the Philharmonie, I mean, nothing's changed in the Philharmonie except that there are more cameras and cables and, yes. and lights. Yeah. But do you have any good stories about recording those with him? I'm sure you have hundreds. I mean, the setup, uh, obviously, for the audio recordings, actually what happened, other than for the first recording, which we did in 87, the Mozart Concerti 3 and 5, where I knew ahead of time uh, on day X would be the, re- the rehearsal, then the recording. Usually they just happened kind of while we were rehearsing, seriously. I mean, the Beethoven Concerto, which I had never played before in public and actually never played, I mean, Literally. So I had this rehearsal with Herbert von Karian and at the end, um, yeah, it turned out to be the recording. So what can I say? With Karian, you always had to be ready because you never knew when whatever you did, said or thought (laughs) would be captured. Oh, my goodness. And actually, one of the more dramatic stories was, and I just recently listened to that very movement of the Mendelssohn Concerto, was when I I'm, I'm, must have been 16 or 17 and always a very strong-willed person. So we are coming to that exuberantly lively and appassionata and really wild and virtuosic third movement of the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto. And the maestro started in a tempo, which was really... Oh, and I just had it, you know, at one of these moments I thought, nope, this is, that goes too far. And so I pushed the gas and I actually played fast and I could see that Monsieur Schwalbe, who was the concertmaster, they, they, they were on the jump to follow me, but then the blue eyes fell up on them. <laughs> Those blue eyes back scared the, them. Back <laughs> into the slower tempo and we finished like a gap of Maybe 20 bars, you know, I finished the piece and the orchestra did their part, you know, there was deaf silence. And so, I mean, I'm still alive and I could persuade Karian that one cannot play spiccato in that tempo, which of course isn't true. But thanks to God, he was not that terribly skilled in violin playing, which proved to be musically speaking, really added plus joke aside a part of that really dangerous moment in my life because he he saw music as what it is in total, totally removed from your physical problems with the instrument. Let's put it that way. And that has taught me, obviously, quite a bit just to have this out-of-body experience when working on a piece or when reading the score. So, yeah, but that was a rather dangerous moment because it could have gone either way. It could have gone backwards. <laughs> <Hands> off. <laughs> Especially as he said to you the first time you went and played for him, the Beethoven, he said, come back next year. Yes, what a subtle way of communication. <laughs> totally. It's not I mean, good enough. How na- about that? <laughs> nothing else, just literally, kommen Sie nächstes yes. Jahr wieder. Also really genau. only that. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but you know, I mean, I, I was, uh, let's say I've always been... Um, Interested in, is, is the word stoicism, you know, oh. like Mark Aurel. And so uh, and I think the word stoic has a very negative connotation. And I wouldn't say that I'm, it's just pretty much the opposite of what I am. And that's, I think, why I got so attracted to it. Um, so in in a way, in my musical life, I have always tried the best, but I was prepared for the worst. So having said that, I wasn't surprised at all because I knew it was just what was I doing with 15 with the Beethoven concerto? You know, 
So of course, back to the Black Forest. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you did you recorded it before you did the concerts, which is a I find yes. when I've, I've I've just recorded something that I I've played afterwards in many concerts, and now I'm thinking actually I need to do, go back and do it again because yes, that's I a really agree. hard I way. I couldn't. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I totally agree. But is there ever, in retrospective, the really absolutely perfect and genuinely satisfying? moment you want to, you know, agree on a recording forever. I mean, thanks to God, sometimes in life we have the chance to re-record it. And for what it's worth, every recording should have value. But it is always an attempt to shed light on, you know, what you think about the piece now. And and hopefully... You feel not too bad about it in the future. <laughs> what would you do differently when you listen to these, or do you ever listen to them? You would you, do you think, no. oh, that was a young tempo? I could do it differently now, yeah. or or te- yeah. technically? I mean, I listen. Yeah, I listened to the Mendelssohn the last movement because I was talking uh, with my son about uh, that incident, and it, yes, it is terribly slow, and it just doesn't have that kind of light heart, light footedness, which I think uh, Mendelssohn needs. Yes, technically, you know, I mean, the sky is the limit. It's just what I'm really fascinated about is sound development and how you can shape, and and that you can witness through early to later recordings how the scope of colors and dynamics and the subtleties, I think, have um, enlarged. Yeah. No, but, so, but sound yeah. development, I mean, you, were mm-hmm. you, you weren't playing on the violin that you play on today, or were you? And no. my, my last recording with Karajan, that was the live recording of the Tchaikovsky with the Anna Philharmonic on the 15th of August in 88. That has been on the Strat I'm playing <laughs> okay. now. All the others were on the previous Strat from 1703, which proved to be a fabulous instrument, particularly for recordings. So I cannot blame the instrument for anything I did in the past, because <laughs> that that Strat also is quite fabulous. Maybe in a large hall, it didn't have the panache, which I was looking for, the kind of brute force, if you want, in a, in a piece like Sibelius or Tchaikovsky or Berg, which is so heavily over-orchestrated. But when it comes to subtlety and colors, you know, these instruments, I don't know how it is with the horn, but they seem to be treasure boxes. The, the, the deeper you know what key to use in different layers, they seem to have it all in them. You just have to be clever and experienced enough to kind of bring it to light. Well, that was exactly what I wanted to ask because as a ho- it's a horn player question now because our instruments are great for about, I don't know, 10 years and then we need a new one because we've literally blown them wow. out. Yeah, it's really... Does I mean, that have uh, an effect on your private life as well? This kind of... Uh, <laughs> horn playing <laughs> definitely has an effect okay, on my private life. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yes, I mean we. But horns aren't <laughs> horns aren't nearly as expensive as Stradivari, and I I still mm-hmm. have my very first French horn. But of course, yeah. I can't play it in the orchestra because we play at such a volume in in my orchestra that um, literally yes. the you know the, the the metal wears out. There was one day I was playing wow. and I saw I saw something moving on the bell, and it was my finger. I could see it was a hole in the bell, so no. I could see my finger on the other side. So they do wear out. You know they. Stay very long, wow. but they wear out. But a strad, but your yes. strad, how does that sound develop over the years? I mean, is a strad a strad when you get it, or does it does it bloom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, you know all of these 
great string instruments have a, a definite personality, a timbre, a voice like humans. They, they do differ quite a bit. I mean, to our ears, let's be honest, to musicians' ears. An unexperienced ear might not hear the difference between uh, various instruments, but, you know, that, that's besides the point. Music is about subtlety. I do think that you adapt to the instrument, to the way the instrument wants to be played. And that's why not every instrument will fit you. It's not a question of lack of quality or a better quality. It is a question of what you prefer. I prefer instruments which have an extremely high, very fast reaction time, because then I can control it much better. If it's a sluggish instrument where you couldn't play super fast spiccato because it doesn't speak clearly and dryly, that wouldn't be for me. I love instruments who, when they speak by themselves, so senza vibrato, Uh, and you play super, super soft with literally only two hairs of your bow, they still have a presence because that gives you an incredible scope. I mean, as obviously I'm not playing the horn, I think the... Be glad you don't. I mean, we're all glad you don't. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the mystery of, of a, a violin lies pretty much also in the shades from piano to nothing. So this kind of bringing music when it fits the piece, out of silence. Uh, but that is with the horn, you know, if a horn, oh my God. Yes. I mean, I'm a great sucker for horns. Yeah, uh, me particularly, too, me too. <laughs> particularly in Bruckner. I mean, it just, it's one of the greatest, most heroic, most beautiful instruments. Oh, God, you give us all such goosebumps. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you so much. I never could do. <laughs> But we do have the potential to ruin a concert by ourselves. Yes, you know? that's true. Yeah. So, and you have to live with that. <laughs> yeah. So, so Simon Rattle said that horn players are like stunt people. You know, he said they yes. could always be possibly falling to their death. And, uh, and yeah, but we do it anyway. Yeah, but you have to be extremely brave. I mean, because as, as a string player, you can, if needed, you could sneak in and kind of, you know, wishy-washy, kind of, you know, cover your traces. But, no no wishy-washy yeah. playing the horn. There's yeah. just nothing. Yeah. yeah. You have How to do you cope with that? pressure well it's just something we, we something you learn to live with a lot of practice yes. because of course the most important thing about the horn is getting the first note you know if you miss yes. that it doesn't matter how well you play afterwards uh, I, we in my horn section we combat it with humor humor is a great yeah. uh, enemy yes. of fear I find yeah. and if you can yeah. sort of laugh a little bit about it not laugh at yourself if you if you split nope. a note yeah. you die yeah. you know but yeah. um, we do try and look on the bright side yeah. of life to quote Monty Python yeah. But I mean, huge amounts of practice. Uh, but we we still call it, you know, in, in German, we call this uh, the Glückspirale, so the lucky spiral. Yeah. And also people yeah. call it God's own instrument, because what you blow in, only God knows what's going to come out. So yeah. <laughs> very good. <laughs> it's a little bit different to the violin. But you know what I yeah. loved? I've just seen your film. I saw it last night. Ah, okay. And oh, I okay. absolutely loved it. Congratulations. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. It gives a lovely insight to you and your life. And Roger I is fabulous, isn't oh, he? Oh, Roger. Oh, He's my the high point. goodness. And, and you know, the good news, Sarah, is that on the DVD, which no one should buy, but there's this added 45 minutes. Everyone should uh, buy it. Talks with Roger. <gasps> no, but seriously, about music and the parallel world of music and sports. It is it is mind-boggling. 
you I, know I the, can't the, wait. the sweet spot on the on the schläger am tennis schläger uh, and the sweet spot on the bow and I, I bet you there's a sweet spot on the horn as well and just trillions of things where you think jesus he's the artist i'm the athlete or what the other way around it's fascinating and he's so open and he's so generous and there i mean it's just quite a spectacular conversation because you learn a lot about his life how he deals with pressure i am going to buy let's I'm, face it you know but pressure is privilege i'm so. going to pressure is privilege oh that's a fantastic <laughs> yes. quote pressure, isn't it i yeah. never thought about it like that pressure <laughs> yes. is privilege that'll yeah. that'll get me through my next concert i think that's yeah, a that great quote it's going to help your glücksspirale <laughs> <laughs> totally it's a, it's a privilege to be under pressure right now <laughs> Yes, no, but wonderful. That, that would have been yeah. my only criticism of the film that there was not mm -hmm. enough Roger in there. Yeah, I mean, Roger, I totally agree. And if anyone who's listening to this doesn't know what we're talking about, Roger yeah. is, of course, the goat, Roger Federer, <laughs> who appears. Is there any other Roger? No, I don't think so. No. I, I, Roger that. <laughs> Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> that's it. I think that, that was just such a wonderful moment because you have such wonderful guests in this in this film. Yes. You know, Daniel Barenboim, yeah. Jörg Wiedmann, John Williams. I mean, honestly, and Steve Cohen, who I actually didn't know. Yeah. It was lovely the to magician. meet him. magician. He's amazing. You have to, when you're in New York on weekends, you have to go and, and check him out. It I, is mind-boggling. You're just standing like an inch away from him and you will never. And you know, the... TV uh, crew, they put everything on slow-mo, the trick he does in front of the camera with the, with the match. Frame by frame with magnifying yeah. glasses, they looked at it and they could not see anything, Amazing. even in slow motion. No, I'm, I'm going to see him next time. That's I'm in the New great York. skill. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. But back to Roger. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree. Back to Roger. I always think that music and, and, and top athletes, I mean, musicians are yeah. athletes, whether they look like it or not. You do look I like agree. it. Uh, I, horn players no, but I totally agree. And so when you two were sitting together, I was wondering if that yeah. was going to, if that was going to come out, you know, about this pressure and about this, the, the similarities, yes. you know, because if a, yeah. if a tennis player has got one shot to get that yeah. ball in the net for match point at Wimbledon, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it feels a bit like that when you have to start Bruckner fourth symphony with a, with one note on yes. the horn, oh, you know. My favorite. Oh my God, that beginning. Yeah. <laughs> what goes through a sports person's mind like that? You know, how did you yeah. get behind? Yeah. I mean, I, this is your yeah. podcast. We should Absolutely. be talking about you. No, no. We we spoke about, uh, I, I asked him, do you also, particularly when, you know, crucial moments in a performance or, or on tour or whatever happen, do you also have these monkeys in your head? And he said, of course, I have this the, these two, uh, you know, a devil and an angel. And they're constantly chatting at me. And I just have to try to, first of all, put, put it in balance. So you would think it's the self-criticism when you're on stage, very clearly hearing what you're doing and thinking, yeah, I could do this better tomorrow, blah, blah, blah. Then the other one, which of course has to love what you are doing, otherwise you would never dare to go on stage. And finding the perfect balance seems to be, for most of us, a lifelong practice. Let's put it that way. And it doesn't get and any sometimes, easier. No, I think it gets much worse. I agree. I yeah. agree. You know, if I would have to audition for Herbert von Karajan today, I forget it. But with 13, I was so sure, ah, you know, I'm, I'm off in one hour. I'm back in the Black Forest. Everything will be so comfortable and wonderful. And, you know, I will have my little life. <laughs> that was a fantastic moment. Yeah. In, in the film, there's such beautiful archive footage of you being interviewed. And they said to yeah. you, were you nervous? And you're like, no. 
are you ever nervous they answered you're like no it's like you didn't even know what that was and I thought I'd like to be her (laughs) yeah but you know as a child obviously everything is playful and in a way I think when when life hits you later and you also see the possibilities of where you can go musically speaking and also as a human being in the middle of society what you know needs to be done you of course see more pitfalls and also the possibility of just not being good enough as a person and as a musician and as a mother but you know you can only try and and have fun with uh, not maybe fun is not the right word enjoy enjoy the privilege that what you have loved as a child with four or five i don't know when you've Fell in love uh, with the four, horn? 14. We're late starters. We have yeah. to wait till our teeth are all set up. <laughs> yeah. So anyhow, early. And then you have this wonderful hobby. And if you're lucky enough, it becomes the center of your professional life. That's a huge privilege. And with all the pressure, you know, if we... And that is also what Roger said. You just have to always r- remember what a privilege it is to do what... You are obviously gifted to do, which doesn't mean that it comes at no cost, but that you really deeply enjoy it. And that joy needs to be shared. And I'm very glad that both of us are not neurosurgeons because then a wrong note would be really bad. (laughs) But you're making me almost want to cry here because this pressure is privilege. I'm hearing this phrase for the first time. Really, mm-hmm. um, and it's. Be- I didn't invent it. It's I didn't beautiful. Invent it. yeah. It's it. It is yeah. it because sometimes I, I don't know if you ever. Go, I can't. It's fi- I find it hard to even imagine you going through this. Having last time we played together, it was for the Beethoven Violin Concerto and um, in the Philharmonie, and I was dying for those very quiet notes in the in the slow movement yeah. and you were yes. playing the whole thing and I I was thinking you know how do you even cope with that at the front and I mean if you were going if some young student came you have all these fantastic students that you promote and you work with and there's lovely footage in the film of as well of you all playing together yeah. they yeah. I'm sure they come to you because my horn students mm-hmm. come to me and say how do we cope with this what how do we not get nervous and this 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 phrase pressure is privilege is is a wonderful one and would you would tell yeah. that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I this phrase uh, I heard from a sports coach. I don't remember. I, I, I watched a series. I think it was called The Playbook on Netflix. And there were various sports coaches, American football, tennis coaches. And one of them said, remember, pressure is privilege because people expect something wonderful from you and that they expect something wonderful from you is a privilege. And, but it's you know. sometimes the hard thing because I find you know, building up a reputation is, is the easy part. Yeah. It's staying there, yeah. you know, especially as a horn player, you're only as good as your last concert, you know. It's, it's yeah, staying totally there. And, and the, 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 yeah. the devils or the monkeys in the brain are, yeah. are going, oh, well, today, you know, oh, you're not, oh, you didn't sleep very well. Oh, you've got to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you have to pay that insurance. You know, it's like, blah, blah, blah. and you're thinking, yeah. no, I'm sitting on the stage in the Berlin Philadelphia what a privilege that is that needs to be louder that voice yeah I think the loudest must be that people come and they want to share or you know be part of your experience and that it's a wonderful kind of invitation by the listener to you yeah and uh, and it's maybe not so much about us as people it's just about the music you know and if you think more in general terms that you do it with other, with colleagues together. It's, it's not about the ego. Of course, yes, we want to have a wonderful performance and come close to what we dream of. 
since forever. But yeah, you have to also forgive yourself when it doesn't go well. What I'm really afraid of is that some musicians think that you absolutely need to find a way to perform which feels comfortable and safe. And they try to achieve that by really totally meaningless repetition of everything. So it is so ingrained in the muscle memory and reflexes that mm. it kind of, you know, goes by itself. Yeah. That, of course, the life of an artist should never give you comfort or safety. No. And you just, <laughs> yeah, you just have to live with that. You know, it's, it's life itself is life happens while you're making plans. And that's okay. You know, same with being on stage and playing. Yes, you have planned things, but then, you know. Yeah, that that's what made me laugh recently. I, I had to go on stage and play a, a, a concerto and I felt so, you know, those feelings in the dressing room, you just feel so ill and you know, you actually yeah. should eat your banana or and you're just thinking, oh, yes. no, I can't, I can't. And then I had to laugh at myself. It was like, OK, I was in Latin America. I'd brought myself all the way here. Oh. It was, I yeah. just thought. It's your own, you know, you did this to yourself. Go out there and play the music. You, it, yeah. Seeing it with humor yeah. does help help me. Definitely. And, and it's amazing what, what musicians can get through. I remember a recital. They was also in South America, funnily enough, and they felt really, really sick. And I just barely made it through the second sonata before the break. And then, you know, I kind of was really sick. And I took an extra long break and, and went on with the second half. And, you know, I mean... Yeah, life goes on. As my my mother, Absolutely. my mother used to say, dear. After I'd had a bad concert, she'd say, "Dear, the buses are still running." <laughs> you know, Why? it's like life yes. goes on. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. And we can only try. And I think it's it's wonderful to be human because sometimes magical stuff happens yes. on stage with other humans playing instruments, and that's what you know what counts and what will be remembered by. The audience, and that's hopefully. why I became a musician to make music with other people, not to stand alone on a stage. We, yeah. don't, we don't have many yeah. pieces alone, but that's to yeah. make this live music is an experience. Here. You just yeah. everyone should yeah. have that. Amen. It's funny that you that you uh, mentioned Bruckner Four because that was the first LP I bought from my Taschengeld when I was ten or eleven. Of course, conducted by Karian, and, and I instantly fell in love with Bruckner and with Karian. But in that order. Oh, well, we'll have to, we'll play it for yeah. you next time you come to Berlin. Oh, tell, tell us when. I we'll, always start crying when I hear <laughs> horns in Bruckner. So. Well, horns always start crying in that piece, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have a very busy day. There's a last question. I mean, there's the yes. big John Williams question because uh, this is such a wonderful thing that you've been doing with John, uh, reaching a different audience through his yeah. your transcriptions and his his concerto, of course, but all these wonderful Luke and Leia themes. And you yes. know, as as you said, as you said, it's it's very true that you can't. I mean, to be honest, the horns are very important in John Williams's music. Yes, and a violin cannot. I feel very self-conscious uh, <laughs> playing so many of the horn themes and I'm aware of why they originally were intended for the horn and I'm trying to imitate the horn, which, you know. <laughs> no, but, you, but you're right. You do, you do play the pieces that go well. I mean, you're not going to play the Raiders' yes. March, the horn theme no. on the violin, because it's just, it just wouldn't really fit. But all these yeah. beautiful romantic, uh, the, I mean, nobody yes. writes and a romantic And also the kind tune. of... 
Oh yeah, and it also the, the the kind of uh retrospective and and kind of 30s 1930s themes like he did the long goodbye, you know, from the 70s but which clearly is that vibe and he writes so beautifully for any instrument, but I find particularly for the violin. And uh yeah, speaking of happy as a clam, I mean there must be another set of words to express what this collaboration means for me musically and also on a human level, because he is, as you know, some of the kindest, warmest, most generous uh, people I've ever met, definitely also amongst us musicians. And it is so humbling seeing him work because no matter how often we have now played his second violin concerto together just recently in uh, San Francisco and he's going through the score and, you know, he's making little alterations because he thinks he can improve it. My God, what is that to improve? But, you know, he's so in the process of rewriting, reorchestrating and looking for the grail of musical perfection that I always come back home and I think, oh my God, I must, you know, be more, um, even more inclined with all these thousands of details and seeing the fun he's bringing into the hall, seeing the happiness on our faces, isn't it? I mean, you think John Williams oh. and you start to smile and and the audience and, and you know, it's just collective memory of generations, probably three generations that have... Absolutely. Yeah. And I've rarely seen so many young people, but also people my age and older. And we all share this treasure chest of 50 years music, which has, you know, uh, brought families together. And whenever I play a Hedwig, for example, I remember the first time I played Hedwig and my children were sitting with, who are grown ups now, of course, uh, and they were sitting in the audience. We all cried. I cried on stage. They cried because it was just, supernatural standing next to that genius and, and playing that theme on the fiddle. And it's, it's basically a dream come true in my life. Uh, it's a fantastic collaboration. I wanted to cry the yeah. first time I played Star Wars under him. I really thought I, I my oh, throat was so yes. full I could hardly play a note. Yeah. And I thought maybe the musicians felt like that in Mozart's day, playing Mozart yes, under Mozart. I'm sure. Yes, I totally, totally agree. And it's such a privilege and present to music and to the world, having him around and having him travel, hopefully again and again, also to the good old world, Europe, and so that we can celebrate him, but also celebrate music, because after all, really, it's the greatest art form there is. I absolutely agree. I mean, John, John is just one of, I think, of our, this world's special people. Um, somebody yeah. very, very special. And I, I think your collaboration is a gift to us all. So thank you for that. Thank you for joining us today and to talk about Great your, pleasure, of Sarah. course, we were supposed to talk about the five albums that are coming out for your birthday, but the John Williams collaboration is also a gift to us all from you to celebrate life and music, I think. And one last from the question. Great I mean, I'm just, you know, the humble servant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, but you managed to get him to do all this. You asked him to to write you 10 bars, I heard. Yes. And then you That's bribed how it all him. started. You bribed him with German Lebkuchen. <laughs> Who would have known that Lebkuchen had such an effect? I mean, this is a yeah, world-changing Quebec, you know. It was a wonderful story. And and often you have a little homage to him. You are wearing green earrings that I thought they were amazing yeah, earrings. True. And yeah. then I zoomed yeah. in on them and they're actually Yoda earrings. 
Yes, that's correct. They are Yoda earrings and they are made from so bügelperlen. Yeah, how would you say that in English? Bügelperlen, like little pearls, little little beads. Yeah, beads from plastic and you can with your um, iron, you can kind of iron over them and make them any shape and form you want. And actually, uh, the young daughter of some of my New York friends have has given them to me. And I love fun stuff. So, and I love Yoda. I mean, I'm kind of in spirit Yoda, <laughs> not much taller than Yoda. Uh, and so, you know, I love these earrings and they are fun and, uh, and uh, my connection to the outer world of Star Wars. And you can really see them in a lot of interviews in the film. And I, yes, I, they, true. they caught my eye and I thought, okay, what are these green things? And then I, yeah. I, so thank Sadly, you. Sadly, my daughter is too old to have made them, but, uh, yeah. In, in earlier years, it would have been by her. <laughs> well, I think they're beautiful. They suit you. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you today. Happy birthday Thanks, again. And Thank I, you very much. I hope our paths cross very, very soon. Absolutely. I need to hear you in Bruckner 4 oh, and everything goodness. else says. <laughs> <laughs> I'll start practicing today. Thank you so much. Happy birthday Thank to you. Thank you very much for your time, Sarah. You are an inspiration Take to care. us all. Bye-bye. Okay. You are to me. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Just one more thing. If you've enjoyed this birthday podcast with Anna-Sophie Mutter and would like to hear more Deutsche Grammophon podcasts with other fantastic guests, do subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcasts from. I'm Sarah Willis. Thank you for joining me today and see you next time. Mm-hmm.